0: Morning to each of you. God bless you as as we've gathered together and look at God's Word and fellowship together. It is a privilege to be here this morning. Uh, My wife and most of my family are not here. Uh, Yesterday morning at four in the morning, uh, we got a call from our daughter Rose that she needed mama's help. So um, her baby was born at eight o'clock yesterday morning. So praise the Lord for that. So my wife was going to spend a week or so down there to help her, so we're praising the Lord. Um, keep uh, Leroy and Tanya in your prayers as well, well their babies do any day too, so uh, lots of things happening here. Well, let's look at God's Word, Genesis chapter 4. Let's look at the story of Cain and Abel. And the title for the message this morning is a question. Am I my brother's keeper? I'd like for you to think about that. Genesis chapter 4, I'll read verses 3 through 10. In the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel unto his offering, but unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted, and if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. Unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. And Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass, when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel his brother, and slew him. And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not, am I my brother's keeper? And he said, what hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. That sad question that Cain asked in the last part of verse nine, am I my brother's keeper? The first two children that were born to Adam and Eve were Cain and Abel and we know the story well. Cain was the farmer. Abel was a herdsman, and these two brothers brought their sacrifices to God. And God looked with favor upon Abel's sacrifice, but rejected Cain's sacrifice. And we don't know why all the reasons for that, why God was not pleased with Cain's sacrifice. Could it be that it was not accepted because there was no blood involved? We don't know. The first part of verse 7 says, uh, gives us the hint that Cain must have known what God required in a sacrifice. Because God asked him, If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? So we don't know for sure why Cain's sacrifice was not accepted and Abel's was. Now Jesus said that um, Abel was a righteous man. And we'll not take time to to turn to these different scriptures, but 1 John 3 verse 12 says uh, that Abel was a righteous man. Hebrews 11 verse 4 says that Abel offered a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. And it also says there in uh, Hebrews 11 that Abel was a righteous man and he had faith. He's listed among the heroes of faith there in chapter 11 of Hebrews. Jude verse 11 warns the reader against uh, going the way of Cain. So, Scripture is clear that Abel's heart must have been right with God, while Cain was not. Maybe that's why his offering was not accepted. At any rate, we know the story. Cain is angry with Abel and he kills his brother. We don't have any record that uh, a human had died yet on the earth. And God. Who knows all things, Asked that question of Cain. First part of verse 9. Where is he? Where is Abel thy brother? And Cain answered, I know not. Now I suppose it's possible that Cain didn't know what, didn't understand what he had did. I don't know. If he'd never seen a human die. He knew where the body was, but maybe he didn't understand what really had happened. I guess that's possible. But taking Scripture as a whole and what uh, other writers have said about Cain and so on, it seems like Cain's answer to God was a, a, just a, a lie, a heart of an in, indifference. I'm not sure that Cain was really looking for an answer to his question when he asked him, I'm my brother's keeper. It, was, it seems like it was more of an excuse, even though he did know where, probably where Abel's body lay. Am I my brother's keeper? Am I to be his babysitter, watching his every move? Am I responsible for my brother? How am I supposed to know what Abel's doing at every moment of every day? So we get the hint, at least, of a heart of rebellion and defiance. Cain may have also hinted that God was at least partially responsible God, you're the preserver of man. Why didn't you preserve him? I'm not his keeper. We, of course, we don't know all what was in the heart of Cain for sure. But whenever Cain is mentioned in Scripture, it's always in the connection of rebellion and defiance and hatred, unfortunately. Now, we can be condemning of Cain, but let's remember that we too are guilty of sin that we have tried to hide. May not be murder, hopefully not, but we are sinners. And if you're like me, when I have a guilty conscience, when the Holy Spirit uh, convicts convicts me of sin, my selfish tendency is to deny it, to, to make excuses like King Saul did, to be reluctant of accepting my responsibility for the sin that I committed. Are we forgetting in whose presence we stand? When God Almighty, who knows everything, points something out in my life, something a sin, how can I be so bold and arrogant to deny it or to excuse it? Now, we may think of Cain as a monster, but let's remember that each one of us have sinned while God was watching our every move and knowing her every thought and intent of the heart. No, we don't need excuses like Cain had. We need repentance. Isn't that right? Well, God or Cain asked God a question. Am I my brother's keeper? And God doesn't answer that question here in this portion of scripture directly. But the whole word of God answers that question. So let's think about that. Are you, am I my brother's keeper? And by the way, I think this question includes our sisters as well. I think we'd understand that to be the case. As I refer to Cain's question, am I my brother's keeper? I'm using the word brother, but I think it's a question for brothers and sisters. So are you your brother's keeper? And I'm going to give you an answer that may puzzle you, surprise you, and bear with me as I explain In a little bit. Am I my brother's keeper? And you may disagree with me. But I'm going to say no I'm not my brother's keeper. But I am my brother's brother. Let's think about that. Because there's a difference here. Am I my brother's keeper? No I feel like we are to be my brother's brother. Or sister as the case may be. Think about that Hebrew word that is translated keeper. There in the Old Testament, when we look at the words keep or keeper, in the Old Testament, it's often used to describe how someone would care for an animal or even a prisoner. For example, David the shepherd boy left his sheep with a keeper so that he could visit his brothers out there on the battlefield. The keeper was responsible for the sheep. Another example would be Joseph in prison there in Egypt was under under the the care of the the keeper of the prison and, and Joseph found favor with the keeper of the prison. The Hebrew word translated keeper has the idea to watch for, to look after in a policing sort of way. To be the one in charge of another. And so with that sort of meaning to the word translated keeper, the question God, uh, Cain asked God in our, setting, in our setting here today would be something like this, possibly. Am I his watchdog? Am I his jailer? Am I in charge of Abel? Am I his policeman? Am I his parole officer? And their answer is no, but Cain should have been his brother's brother. And maybe this is all a new thought to you because you know I thought for many years yes I'm supposed to be my brother's keeper but we shouldn't be our brother's keeper in a policing sort of way but rather we should be our brother's brother see in our way of thinking today we would tend to say we would tend to say that being my brother's keeper would have the idea of caring for my brother loving my brother looking out for his welfare because i love it and we are to be doing those things for my brother out of a heart of love. That's very, very true. But unless I'm mistaken, the word keeper here in Genesis chapter 4, in the Hebrew, would have the idea of a babysitter, a policeman, a jailer, a sheepdog that chases after the straying sheep, the one in charge, and to do it out of duty rather than love. And so the point I'm trying to make here this morning is rather than being my brother's policeman, I have to be my brother's brother. And a true heart of love being the motivator. That's the kind of love that motivates us to, to sacrifice for the sake of my brother, for his well-being. <clears throat> Let me tell you a true story. This, this really happened. 1925, I think it was, out in the state of, of Washington. It's a logging camp, okay? They're out in the woods with cross-cut saws and all those kinds of things. Uh, rugged country, very steep, but some beautiful virgin timber. And the Forks Logging Company had built a, a narrow-gauge railroad out in the woods like they used to do in those days to, to haul the logs out. And rather than loading the logs onto rail cars, to then bring them out. What they simply did was roll the logs between the steel rails and using the rails as a guide, uh, they would hook these logs behind the lo- little locomotive, chain one log to another to another, and they'd have a long string of logs bumping along with the, the two steel rails, keeping them uh, go head the right direction. So, huge... Long timbers, average log maybe 40 feet long, one chain to another, and can you imagine a a steam locomotive puffing through the woods with maybe 500 feet of logs bumping along behind. Well, way back in the mountains, it got too steep for the locomotive, so they used what they called a donkey engine. And all that was was a steam engine with a big spool they would change this contraption, chain it to a, to a big stump and pull that cable out through the woods wherever the log was, hook it on, and this thing would winch the cable, the cable and the log to the railroad. They'd bump it over the rail and chain them together for the locomotive to pull out. And if it was too steep, they would use this donkey engine to lower the locomotive and its load of logs down to a more uh, flatter part of the track. Well, one morning, in pulling logs out of the woods, the donkey operator bumped the leading log with another one. It was an extra big one, and it was on the edge. The rails dropped off, very steep, and he bumped that thing. It was a cold, frosty morning, and you can imagine what happened next the log decides, well, he didn't decide, but it began to go down the mountain by itself. No kind of safety uh, things in place at all that was unthought of in those days. And this log starts down the mountain, and there's a man standing there that knew what was going to happen. Down there below was his buddies on the locomotive and the other men probably riding up the mountain to their morning's work. And this log was gonna come screaming down the mountain and it'd be a huge crash and disaster. Well, he quickly grabbed up a wooden box, dynamite box, empty one, filled with dirt and ran beside the log dribbling dirt on the cross ties to try to slow this log down. And with the frost, of course, made made it very slick the log picked up speed and he could no longer keep up. So he jumped on the log with his box of dirt. Crawled to the front and his dribbling dirt in, in the front of the log, this this is a true story. Finally, it began to go so fast, he lost his box of dirt and he hung on for all he was worth. Went about a mile and uh, the track leveled off somewhat, and the log began to slow. He jumped off, and again is scooping dirt and shoving it in front of this log. And it finally stopped, just before it dove off. The track dove off onto a steep part again. And the locomotive engineer and all the men that were on the train there were saved by a brave and a quick-thinking man. And that must have been a ride. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever been on a roller coaster before, but at least you figure that probably things will be all right in the end. This guy didn't know that. Now he could have said, am I my brother's keeper? Um, that donkey operator back there made the mistake. It's his fault. He, he, he shouldn't have done what he did. Somebody should have put a wedge in front of that log to keep that from moving. Somebody should have had some precautions to keep this log from going solo. It's not my fault that the rails and the the ties are covered with frost this morning. And besides, the train engineer knows that that's a dangerous job that he has. And with a string of 500 feet of big logs sliding along directly above you he should know it's risky business. Besides, whoever heard of riding a log to slow it down? That kind of puts me at risk. But evidently, this man didn't say all those things. He, he probably did something before he thought very much. But he had compassion on those that were in the path of danger. And that's, that's my point this morning. And he did something about it. He put himself on line for his brothers. That's what love does. Let's turn to the New Testament, John chapter 15. Words of Jesus, John chapter 15, verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. To one end into verse 17. These things I command you that you love one another. And I'm just reading just a portion of what Jesus said here. But Jesus is very clear. We are to love one another. That's the whole point of the story of the Good Samaritan. Love motivates. True love does something for someone else. Jesus told his disciples to love one another. Jesus showed us how by his own example. Jesus loved us so much that he gave his life on the cruel cross for sinners like you and I. And today we need that kind of love, that kind of self sacrificing love for our brothers and sisters. Cain asked the question, Am I my brother's keeper? And I made a statement a little bit ago that. We should not be my brother's keeper, but we should be our brother's brother. Let's think about some ways we should not be my brother's keeper. For one thing, every person must give an account to God for their own choices, their own actions, and their own attitudes. Every person will stand before Almighty God and take responsibility for their lives. There won't be any finger pointing on judgment day. You know, it's all that other person's fault. See what he did to me. But everyone will bear their own guilt before God unless they have accepted the provisions of Christ and they can come before God clean and washed. No one else can believe the gospel for me. No one else can repent for me. No one else can be born again for me or be a Christian for me. All of us must be personally responsible, personally repent of sin, personally believe in Jesus Christ, personally become converted, and personally live for our Lord Jesus Christ. So no one can be his brother's keeper in the sense of taking on himself uh, another man's responsibilities. We cannot be my brother's keeper in the sense of accepting salvation for my brother. And as long as that person remains in unbelief, in rebellion, in defiance toward God, and disobey God's commandments, and whose heart is hard and unrepentant, we cannot make those choices for them. Now, when a little baby is baptized in the Catholic Church, and I want to be respectful of the Catholic Church, I'm not here to bash the Catholic Church, but I'm talking here about infant baptism. They've done this for hundreds of years. If I understand right, the parents would come forward with this infant and, and solemnly promise that this little child will always keep God's commandments and walk in holiness all the days of his life and promise to renounce all the pleasures and vanities of this present evil world. And I, I guess I would just say that we cannot make a promise like that for our children. As much as we would like to, even though we love them to our full capacity of love, we cannot choose for them those kinds of choices. No wonder our Anabaptist forefathers objected so strongly to infant baptism. To make a promise for that baby is simply a lie because we can't do it. Parents sometimes themselves have not renounced the pleasures and vanities of the world and certainly have not kept, kept all of God's commandments. So how could they promise that for their infant? It's the same, in my view at least, as standing before God and promising God that this child will grow eight feet tall, his hair to be blonde, he has blue eyes. He'll love sweet potatoes and hate lima beans and he'll be a preacher someday. We can't make those kind of choices. Those things are out of our control. It's true that parents influence children tremendously in a direction. That's very true. But we cannot choose for them. We cannot be my brother's keeper in the sense of choosing for them. We must influence. We must encourage. We must rebuke. We must confront. We must lead by example. We must earnestly pray for others, all those important things. But if that person chooses to reject God in spite of our efforts, let's remember that we will not be held responsible for not doing what we could not do. And that is to turn hearts of stone to flesh and awaken dead sinners to life. And so, yes, influence with all your might, whether it's your children or someone else. But the choice is still up to that person. So we cannot be our brother's keeper in the sense of being able to choose for them. Now let's turn to Galatians chapter 6. I'll just read the first five verses. Galatians chapter 6. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man think himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. But let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone, and not in another. For every man shall bear his own burden. Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teaches in all good things. Now we read in the Bible that we are to be kind and compassionate, forgiving one another and esteeming others better than themselves ourselves, and weeping with those that weep and rejoicing with those who rejoice. Jesus talked about feeding the hungry and so on, and we're to pray for one another and to be careful not to offend the weak. We're to be involved in the lives of each other with love being the motivator. I was especially noticing verse 2 and verse 5 here in Galatians chapter 6. Verse 2 says, bear you one another's burdens. Verse 5 says, for every man shall bear his own burden. Now, how do you reconcile that? Those two verses. One says, bear one another's burdens. The other says, every man shall bear his own. And I think the answer to this apparent conflict lies partially, at least, in the fact that there are two different Greek words being used here, translated burden or burdens in these verses. The burden of verse 5, which every man shall bear his own burden, that burden is a burden, if I understand right, uh, as the idea of a burden that can and should be borne. Okay? The Greek word has the idea of the cargo of a ship, that kind of burden. That ship was designed and built and intended to carry it. Every man should bear what God has equipped him to carry, I believe is the sense of verse 5. Now in contrast to the burden that can and should be carried in verse 5, verse 2, where it says bear you one another's burdens, the Greek word translated burdens has the idea of depth of the deep. In other words, the burden in verse 2 is a type that will sink the ship. And so we are to bear our own burdens of verse 5, those things that God gives us and equips us to carry, but sometimes God allows us to have a verse 2 burden. Things happen in our lives at times, that are too heavy for us to carry on our own. And we need a brother to help. And I believe that this is God's intention for us to help each other with verse 2 type of burdens. And verse 5 as well. But especially verse 2. So that the ship doesn't sink. You see the difference? Am I to be my brother's keeper or my brother's brother? You see with the word keeper comes the idea of control of those that he is in charge of. The keeper regulates eating and drinking and activities and and their activities are watched so that they'll behave themselves. You think of a a zookeeper, for example. We are not to be my brother's keeper in this sense, to, to have control over him so that he behaves himself. No, we are to be our brother's brother, to love him and be willing to sacrifice for his good. And when he has a verse 2 type of burden, to be there for him. No, we cannot choose for my brother. That's what a keeper would do. But we can be a brother for my brother to encourage him and challenge him to choose what is right. You see, the burden of verse 5. It's like the log chained behind the locomotive going down through the woods in the Washington state, just chugging along, doing what it's designed to do, what it's supposed to do. Yes, it's work, but it's designed to do what it's doing. The burden of verse two is the log on a solo trip down the mountain, out of control. And all of us need help with out of control logs or situations that are out of our control. Too heavy for us. That's what our brother's for. Well, what Cain did to his brother was a wicked thing to do, to murder him. But I'm thinking about our situation here today. If if I don't love someone and I wish he would go away, the truth is to murder a man you need not stab him, you need not beat him, you need not shoot him, all you have to do is nothing the man that seen the log starting to slide down the mountain all he would have had to do was nothing and people would have been killed and you and I are tempted to do nothing as we see somebody rolling around in the The garbage of sin. We know where that path leads. We know that hell awaits and eternity awaits. We know that Satan doesn't give up easily. We know that people are desperately searching for meaning and purpose in life and they try one thing after another that this world has to offer and there's nothing there for them. And we have the answer that they need and yet we're tempted to do nothing. I I am convicted sometimes of the lack of love in my own life for the lost. Now, it's very true that many people do not want to hear the truth. They reject the truth, and it's usually not very effective to try to cram the gospel down the throat. But we need to experience the gospel ourselves, live the gospel, and show the gospel to the world, how it's lived in everyday life, and to witness by word and deed, our attitudes appreciate the comments that were made this morning in the morning opening about witnessing to others in need sometimes somebody has a situation that, like was mentioned this morning that is out of their control and they're grieving or they're struggling and you can be there for them Sometimes God uses those things to bridge across, get past the the hard wall, the hard shell into a person's heart. And would we have the courage to take that opportunity as God leads us there? Now, I do not believe that we are responsible for what we cannot do, but we are responsible for what we can do. And Christ is very clear And what what we're here on earth to do as we think of the Great Commission. May the blood of my brother not be crying from the ground. May we be a brother's brother. Not only for the lost person out there in the world somewhere, but those in my own house, those in my own church, we are to love each other. Jesus taught it. Peter and Paul and John all wrote about it. Scripture tells us we're to receive one another romans fifteen we're to edify one one another serve one another forgive one another submit to one another exhort one another consider one another be hospitable to one another and we could go on scripture has many one anothering passages and by the way that's an interesting bible study a, a challenge if you want a challenge study the one another verses in scripture in light, of, in light of these scriptures, are we to be a brother's keeper? Or are we to be a brother's brother? Think about that. Well, it's so true that the servant becomes like his master. Certainly was the case in Cain's life, wasn't it? Jesus said in John chapter 8, I believe it is, that Satan is a liar and a murderer from the beginning. And so Cain evidently became like his master, a liar and a murderer. Well, you and I are also becoming like our masters as well. Let's make sure that we are the servants of the right master. Well, Cain was not his brother's keeper, but he wasn't his brother's brother either. My challenge this morning is to be my brother's brother, motivated by love, following our master Jesus Christ and becoming more and more like him. In closing, I'd like to read four scriptures, keeping in mind that we cannot be our brother's keeper. Uh, Psalm 121, it says, verse uh, three, four, and five, he will not suffer thy foot to be moved, he that keepeth thee, notice that, He that keepeth thee will not slumber. Behold, he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is thy keeper. The Lord is the shade upon thy right hand. And then going to the New Testament, Romans chapter 8, verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine For nakedness, or pearl, or sword, as it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, and all these things were more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. My point is, is that the Lord is the keeper. 1 John chapter 3. In this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil, whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither is he that loveth not his brother. For this is the message that ye have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother. And wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil, and his brother's righteous. Marvel not, brethren, if the world hate you. We know that we have passed from death unto life, because we love the brother. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer, and ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good and seeth his brother have need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And finally in Jude verses 24 and 25. Now unto him that is able to keep you, there's our word, to be able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of His glory with exceeding joy to the only wise God our Savior. Savior be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and ever. Amen. So the Lord is the keeper. We are to be my brother's brother. May the Lord bless you as you seek to carry that out. Let's have a closing song.